You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week uh, to kick things off on the podcast is Mary Thomas Hart. Mary Thomas is NCBA's Deputy Environmental Counsel. Mary Thomas, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ed. All right. This week we're going to talk about... uh, a couple of pieces of legislation that are kicking around on Capitol Hill, um, one of which we like and one of which we don't. Uh, we're going to start with the one that we like, um, in part because we're positive here at NCBA, um, but also, honestly, because that's the way the schedule shook out with you and with Caitlin, who's going to join us later on. Um, but the first bill that, we, that we're going to talk about is called the Pasture Act, and that was introduced on Capitol Hill this week. Um, it's bicameral, which means it's both in the House and the Senate, and it's bipartisan, so it has Republican and Democratic uh, co-sponsors on it. Um, and the Pasture Act, they, the, the creativity of, of Hill staffers um, never ceases to amaze me when it comes to coming up with creative um, acronyms. So the Pasture, Act, <laughs> the Pasture Act stands for Pandemic Authority Suitable to Utilize Reserve Easements. So we're only going to say that once because if we try to say that five times fast, we'll be here all day. Um, but tell us a little bit about this Pasture Act and uh, why it's necessary. The Pasture Act was introduced by Representative Marshall from Kansas, Representative Craig from Minnesota, and Senator Thune from South Dakota, along with Senator Smith from Minnesota. Um, So we're really happy to see a piece of bipartisan, bicameral legislation, um, and we hope that we can include it in the next coronavirus relief package. So the Pasture Act provides USDA the necessary authority to open CRP acreage for emergency hay and grazing. Okay, and so why is this necessary? How, how, you know, what happened during the pandemic that made this uh, piece of legislation necessary? The beef supply chain has done an incredible job of, of managing the additional pressures that came with this pandemic. But we want to do everything we can to make sure that our producers have the resources they need, and that includes forage availability. The last thing we want is for there to be a forage shortage um, down the road. So by opening up CRP acreage for emergency hang and grazing, we can ensure that producers have the the grass and the acreage they need to feed their cattle for as long as possible. All right, perfect. Now, um, you mentioned, I mean, the way things often work here in Washington is a piece of legislation will be introduced. There's often not an up or down, up or down vote on that particular piece of legislation, but it gets rolled into a larger um, a larger bill that includes a lot of other things. Um, what's the latest thinking in Washington as far as um, when another coronavirus uh, pandemic relief bill or package will be uh, moved forward? Well, as we saw a few weeks ago, the House passed its HEROES Act, which was a broad uh, fourth round of coronavirus relief. Um, In that package, there was some language on this issue, uh, specifically about conservation reserve program, um, grazing access, um, but it wasn't exactly what we asked for. So we see that as a really good marker for what's to come. And as the Senate develops its coronavirus relief package, its next round, um, we hope to ensure that the Pasture Act is included in that bill and that it's hopefully signed into law. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Um, in the meantime, everybody, um, contact your elected officials um, yes. and on the House and Senate side, both sides. Tell them uh, to support the Pasture Act. Yes, producers should contact their members of Congress and, and ask them to co-sponsor the Pasture Act. 
All right. Thanks for joining us, Mary Thomas. Also joining us this week is Caitlin Glover. Caitlin is the executive director of the Public Lands Council and executive director of NCBA Natural Resources. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me this week. All right. Well, you have the the honor of talking about the piece of legislation that we don't like this week. Um, why don't you talk about that? It's it's probably headed for some action in the Senate next week, right? No, that that's right. And it's called the Great American Outdoors Act. How can you possibly be against the Great American Outdoors Act? Everybody loves the Great American Outdoors, right? Everybody loves the Great yeah. American Outdoors. And, and the, the thing here is that we really want to set them up for a strong future, right? So this this bill has a, has a really great name, and that's, that's really about where the, the greatness stops, right? The acronym, funny enough, is the GAO Act. Um, the GAO here around Washington is also known as the Government Accountability Office. Uh, that's the office that tells Congress and federal agencies how to spend their money better and more efficiently, something that this bill just does really, really poorly. Okay, so what is the problem with the Great American Outdoors Act, in your view? Yeah, so there are a couple different problems. So the first problem, well, the bill does two things, right? So it addresses this huge backlog of deferred maintenance. Um, all of the agencies involved in, in this bill have a deferred maintenance backlog of about $20 billion. So that's a, that's a pretty sizable amount. The first half of the bill uh, addresses their deferred maintenance at $9.5 billion of that over about five years. And the, the back half addresses the Land and Water Conservation Fund. And that's really where we have a problem. Right. And so we've talked about the LWCF in the past um, and, you know, how it's funded. So talk a little bit about the, the changes that would be made in this legislation to how the LWCF works and is funded. Yeah. So so the, the Land and Water Conservation Fund is often heralded as the, the greatest American conservation bill of all time. And what does it do? Tell folks, just take a step back and tell people what what it does. Yeah, ab absolutely. So, so there are basically two functions of LWCF. One are stateside grant program. Those are the things that you see building rodeo grounds and baseball fields and, and uh, you know, recreational activities in small communities. The other part of that uh, is, is the federal side funding. And that federal side is limited solely to land acquisition. So that federal side, and it's, it's a little less than half now, um, is, is used solely by agencies to increase the federal estate. So when, when we when we reevaluated and, and reallocated um, some of the funding in 2019, um, that this fund was was allowed to be permanently reauthorized. So Congress could have put money into the fund forever and ever. What we're doing here in, in this bill, or what Congress is trying to do at least, is say that Congress no longer needs to be involved in putting money into the fund. So it's it's authorized at nine hundred million dollars every year forever. And so when 40% of those funds can be used on, on land acquisition alone, you're talking about $360 million every year just to buy land. And that's where we have a huge, huge problem. Right. And of course, one of the, the core functions and the core powers of Congress is the power of the purse strings. And, um, you know, they appropriate the money um, and they get to attach some strings and make sure exercise oversight, basically, make sure that um, the programs are being run in, the, in a proper way, in an effective way. So why is why are so many members of Congress up on Capitol Hill seemingly okay with, you know, giving up this authority that they have over how money is spent? 
So I, I wish I could tell you, Ed, I mean, it, oversight is both a, a privilege and a responsibility. It is so irresponsible for Congress to cede their responsibility, to cede that authority. You know, we, we send members of Congress to go and represent us and make sure that the non-elected officials make sure that they spend our taxpayer dollars efficiently. And this is a really poor use of that. And, and so for Congress to say, we no longer want to, to take some oversight uh, of how these uh, agencies buy land, most of this land happens to be in the West, where we already have a lot of federal land. Uh, for Congress to say, no, we don't, we don't need to be involved in that process, it's a complete abdication of their responsibility. Moreover, it's, it's even more egregious when it's coupled with that front end of that deferred maintenance. You know, it's, if you have a house and you can't keep up with the maintenance on your house, you don't go buy seven more houses when you get a little money in your pocket. You take care of the house you have, you take care of the lands you have, and you don't increase that federal state. Over time, the American taxpayer is going to be paying for these landscapes, and it's 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 really really disappointing that that Congress is willing to take themselves out of it. Okay, so wh where do we stand with this? Um, we might see something happen as soon as next week, right? Yeah, no, that that's right. So the Senate is is poised to take that up on Monday, June eighth. Um, so that that first trigger vote is going to bring it to the floor, and we're going to be de seeing them uh, debate this bill. Um, this bill has been debated, or this concept has been debated over and over and over. And um, and you know, to to a lot of members' credit, you know, they they see the American people saying, "We love national parks, we love our forests, and we do too." Right here at NCBA and PLC, we we love those things too. We just want to make sure that they're healthy, and and we don't want more of these lands at all costs. And so, uh, you know, as we see these members, you know, there are 59 co-sponsors. You know, it's very, very close to that 60-vote threshold there in the Senate. Um, we're trying to make sure that the, those remaining 41, they say, all right, pump the brakes. We need to do this responsibly, and we need to, to not make this a, a, a burden on the American taxpayer, not make new mandatory spending. Okay, so um, when you call your senators and tell them to co-sponsor and support the Pastures Act, um, you might as well drop a drop a line in there as well about uh, your concerns on the LWCF and the Great American Outdoors Act as well. Absolutely. Anytime that you can tell your, your senators uh, not to support these things and tell them why, that's a really great thing to do. If this does pass the Senate, we'll see some action in the House. So if, uh, if you're on the phone with, with them or their staff, you might as well mention it too. All right. Sounds good. We'll keep an eye on it. Caitlin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.